Am I supposed to say hello first? I don't know. I guess I should. <laughs> Hi, friends. Hi, friends. Welcome, Welcome to back. the podcast. Yeah. Welcome to Alive and Well, the podcast. Wow. Episode two. Episode two. I am so excited. I'm so excited. I literally just read the brief like 30 minutes before we recorded (laughs) and I was reading it and I was like, yes, yes, this is so (laughs) cool because I see all of these things anecdotally, right? And like, if I have to write a paper or whatever, usually we have this thing at the beginning that's called societal importance. And oftentimes I'm pulling facts from like industry Mm. and business. It's like the wellness industry is worth X amount of dollars. Like- Mm -hmm. That I just use that at the beginning to basically tell academics like, hey, this matters. This is important. Outs- yeah. Right. Like outside of your little tiny bubble world that you live in. Yeah. Um, and so when I saw that, I was like, this is my jam. I'm excited to learn more stuff versus just like throwing it in an intro paragraph. <laughs> um, so yeah, what are we talking about? So today we are talking about the same thing we talked about last week, which is really what is wellness. Um, but we're taking it um, from a, a little bit of a different approach. We're really looking at it from an industry perspective and from a business perspective. So last week, we really, t- or I guess last episode, we um, Mariah did a great job of really going into the cultural perspective. Um, and and um, I think you had more of an academic approach to what is wellness um, and, and um now we're sort of covering a different side of what wellness means uh, from an industry perspective. Yes. I'm so excited to hear like specifically from people who are in business, right? Because like Michaela said, I teach in like the humanities, the liberal arts. We're very into critical, cultural, (laughs) you know, nuanced arguments about what's going on in the world. Um, And this to me feels very much like if I went to school in a business college to study the same thing that I study, but I didn't go to a business college. I went into communication in the humanities. So mm-hmm. I just think it's cool to see this from a totally different perspective and kind of learn about people who are truly in the business of building a wellness brand. Mm-hmm. What are they looking at and how are they deciphering, you know, what the industry is, where the opportunity is for growth, uh, stuff like that. So I'm excited to hear all about that too. Yeah. And like, they really have, um, they have this for lots of majors, I guess, but, um, like I could have chosen to go down for my MBA. I could have chosen specifically an MBA from a healthcare administration perspective. And I think we're going to start to see business classes and, and business, even business concentrations and groups of classes that focus on the wellness industry. And I, and you'll sort of see why, but it really, We'll get into the numbers, but it is just so big and so massive that it's starting to, I think, um, it makes sense for us to be studying it with a much closer lens from a business perspective because, damn, it's its own monster. Yay. (sighs) Okay. Tell me some numbers. Tell me some stuff. Okay. (laughs) So let's, yeah, let's jump into it. Okay. Yay. So um, just to give you guys a little roadmap of where we're going to go today. We're going to talk a lot about the market size um, and predicted growth, as well as some consumer insights. I'll talk a little bit about um, predicted trends that we might see down the pipeline, but with, for the sake of time, we probably won't go too much into that, but 
Mm-hmm. Um, I am planning on doing a part two or at least another episode specific for industry trends. But um, so the first part really is market size. And this, I think, is really impactful when we start to talk about these numbers. So the global health and wellness industry is worth oh we're hearing some puppies <laughs> yeah i just got a uh al and i just got a new dog i we we don't talk about this on this podcast but we do have personal lives y'all um and if you want to hear about the dogs you can go over to it burns in a good way because we talk about our personal lives um on that podcast but yes it's okay it's okay <laughs> we'll just mm-hmm. ignore the dog barks Perfect. so anyway so the global health and wellness industry is worth 4.4 trillion dollars Um, it's important. I know. Right. Like when you really think about like, it's not, it's not a billion, it's a trillion. Yeah. That's so much money. Um, and and that is the global health and wellness industry. And it's also really important to mention that, um, it's the health and wellness last episode, we really focused on wellness and we differentiated between health and wellness. Um, although in this, um, context it's really it's health is not necessarily medical or medicine so we're not looking at health care mm-hmm. um but it is lumping in um health with that wellness term yeah, it's like other it's like other entities like yeah and and probably for me in my work it's probably including some things that I actually wouldn't look at mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. when I think about like the wellness industry I'm very much in like holistic health, like not pharmaceuticals. And I can imagine there are some larger corporations that are probably included in like the health part of what you're talking about that I wouldn't necessarily include in my understanding of what the wellness industry is just because the the lens that I, that I look at. Mm -hmm. Right. But I could, right. Like I could include these. It's a fine line and it's a blurred line. Right. So, um, but I do think it's important to mention that. Um, And I think that's why it makes a little bit more sense that it's 4.4 trillion, again, on a global scale. And then when we take a look at from the U.S. approach, um, the health and wellness industry is valued at 1.2 trillion. So about 28% or about a quarter, um, the U.S. accounts for a quarter of the worldwide market, which is also massive. Yeah, that's a a lot. (laughs) In ratio to like the actual size of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is really interesting. And I think that there is a, you know, a Mariah approach, a humanities cultural approach <laughs> uh, to that, that we could go into yeah. on a different episode. Absolutely. That, that's the thing about episodes like one through five. We're just going to be like, Hey, so there's this other General. little thing right here that we could talk yeah. about for three hours, but we won't, we'll do that in like yeah. episode 20. So bear with us as we kind of yeah. map out the the industry and kind of what we're looking at. I promise we'll get into stuff, but this is a good time to note, like if you're listening to our podcast and you're like, I want to hear more about this specific thing, or I have a question about why this is a thing. I did actually get um, a couple of DMs on my personal Instagram account. Um, shout out to those people who listened. Aww. We're so nice. And they just made some comments about how great it was to hear or how great it was to hear about uh, the differentiation between like health and wellness. Um, one of the people I heard from was a nurse and she was like, it's cool to think about like how you think through things. So all that to say, if you hear something and you want to know more, or you have a question, please send us a message. You can send us a message on our 
uh, business Instagram, Alive and Well Pod, or on our personal Instagrams. They're down in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, we're we're going to continue to say, oh, there's also another lens or, or a section of this that is not really fully on topic today. But the reason why we are doing that is because it's important to understand that this episode is focusing on the business industry approach, but the topic is so much bigger than just that. Um, So we want to make sure we're balancing it all out and that we're not just taking one approach. We're taking multiple approaches. We're just biting Um, off more than we can chew at all times. That's also true. Like, (laughs) I just want the world. Okay. I I don't think that's that big of a deal. I mean, how hard is it to record a hundred podcast episodes, Michaela? I think it's that hard. And then just throw them all out at the same time. Yeah. It's not like we have jobs. No, or like free time. Oh, I don't have free time, but (laughs) I shouldn't have free time, but you don't like you do, but you don't. It's called procrastination. All right. That's true. Okay. (laughs) Um, so one of the, uh, biggest companies that popped up in when, as I was researching this industry, um, and this, this company is considered the fastest growing health and wellness company. It's called Medi, Medifast, Medifast. Hmm. Yep. Medifast. Um, have you heard of that company? Yeah. So I believe it's a multi-level marketing company. Okay. I believe, um, let me Google. Me too. Oh yeah, it is. It is. So it's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> Got it. Are you kidding? I should have figured that out. Wow. Oh my God. I love this. Keep going. Tell me all about it. Oh, this is not technically a pyramid scheme because they focus, they do focus well, on selling their right. products. It's, it's a multi-level marketing company. It's not a pyramid scheme. I, my humanities brain is always like, oh, every multi-level marketing company is a pyramid scheme. It's not, that's not true. I'm just being a cynic. So no, yes. I, dude, oh my God, don't get me started on we'll talk MLM about, we'll talk about MLMs in the wellness industry. I think like That's legitimate episode. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, for sure. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. Yeah. Tell me about it. So they, I, I had never heard of them, um, until, uh, getting into this research. Um, but their main brand is called Octavia. And they offer health and wellness services products community, which is really crazy to me because it's hard to really pin down what is wellness as we have already discovered. It is um, a very like nuanced thing and somehow they have created an entire business specifically for quote unquote wellness. Um, the brand is worth $1 billion and it has over 2 million customers. And I did a little bit of insight onto what Octavia offers because I was really curious on what exactly do they sell? Like how, what is the, the product offering that's happening here? Um, and they have, according to their website, they provide four main quote unquote supports. And I captured their language that they used. And I think that understanding now that it is an MLM uh, makes sense as you listen to the way that they word things. Uh Um, So the first one is 
they provide coaches to guide and inspire your wellness journey. <laughs> I can't even say that without laughing. Um, the, <laughs> the, the second support, they provide community of like-minded people for encouragement. Oh my the gosh. Third, I know, right? That's the one. Third, that's one. Yep. Yeah. No, it's like, it's all making sense now. Um, the third support, they uh, provide clinically proven plans and scientifically designed products called, oh my God, I can't, quote unquote, fuelings designed by dietitians, scientists, and physicians. And then the fourth support is habits of health that is trademarked transformational system to offer easy steps to a sustainably healthy lifestyle and i'm just going to take a minute to like take all of that in to be honest like uh, my i think from my perspective and i'm curious to hear your thoughts mariah but the biggest yeah. i don't know not red flag but just the thing that like stands out the most to me especially from like what I do for my day job is the third one of clinically proven plans and scientifically designed products called feelings designed by dietitians, scientists, and physicians. Like uh, these are one of the biggest hurdles and challenges that I face in my job is um, uh, we are in a highly regulated industry, which it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, because we're talking about our pe people's health. Yeah. Um, when you think of like a shit show that could happen, you think of Elizabeth Holmes, mm -hmm, <laughs> like mm -hmm, we're mm -hmm. there. The FDA, while it has its shortcomings for sure, they're also there for a reason. And we, my job is constantly, I constantly have our regulatory team breathing down our neck on making sure we're not making claims, making sure we're not, um, we're not going to get in legal trouble. We have a legal team constantly approving our stuff. We have a medical team making sure that we're talking about things correctly. Um, and so when I see things like this, where they are clinically proven plans and scientifically designed products, like, are they? Like, I, I really, that type of stuff is really difficult to just go do. And if they're approved if they are right, like regulated. Yeah. And the thing is, so the thing about my perspective on all of this, right. And like, we could mm -hmm. get into all of this. Um, and we definitely don't have to, I feel like we could do an entire episode now on Metafest now that I'm like really looking into this. Um, and for those oh, who don't know, it's huge for those who don't know, Michaela and I like to surprise each other. So sometimes we'll come in and she'll have like this brief. Right. And I literally hadn't looked at it until 30 minutes before. So I'm also learning about this with you all. And like I see on their website, <laughs> they have a scientific advisory board they created in 2008. Right. And it's an MD a PhD, this other MD. Um, might I add that they're almost all old white men and mm. one white woman. Um, and that's it. So that's cool. Um, but also like the primary consumers of MLMs are Latina women. Um, so that's fun. So like mm. There's a lot of kind of racial, you know, critical cultural underpinnings here that we could talk about, but also just like from this perspective, I totally understand what you're saying about dietitians, scientists, and physicians. I worry about these types of folks selling out, realizing, and what I mean by that is realizing that there's money in something mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Cause you can basically get research to say whatever you wanted to say. And that's a, that's yeah. that I could get flack for because some people think that like there really is true and false, but I think that science is ever changing. And so therefore you can use specific things to argue a specific point that you could also argue against with other quote unquote real science. Like there is science out there that talks about these nuances. Right. And what I'm seeing here is like, they have like these metafast shakes, which worry me. It was founded mm-hmm. in the eighties, which also worries me because that's like peak starting of diet culture, right? They're talking about meal replacements. And to mm-hmm. me, that's like not long-term health and wellness. And they're saying on here, we're pushing against quick fixes. I'm sorry. How is a milkshake that comes in a box not a quick fix if you're saying it's going to lead to weight loss, right? And they're they're building off of community's opportunity to use word of mouth, which is huge in the wellness industry, right? Especially from a business perspective, it's probably why the industry is growing so quickly on social media because you can use your peers and your friends and other opinion leaders to say this is what's working for me. This is great. So this multi-level marketing model, that's no surprise it's working for them because if you say it's backed by physicians, whether or not those physicians are doing so in good faith, and then your sister down the street or your friend from church or whatever says, I'm doing this and I've lost 18 pounds, those two things combined together, it's going to make them a lot of money, right? Like you need credibility and you need some authenticity in there. And so that doesn't shock me at all that they're using this language of like, it's backed by these people. However, they're not the ones who are pushing it, right? It's your friends, your community of Mm like-minded people who are pushing it. And then these coaches to guide and inspire. It's very aspirational language, right? And then this habits of health transformational system, like- you know, I mean, it is it is very much predicated on like today's understanding of how to sell a wellness product, right? Like you need a little aspiration, you need a mm-hmm. little credibility, you For need sure. a little transparency and support from other people in your life. So that somehow doesn't surprise me. And also I see on their homepage, there's a woman taking a selfie in a workout tank top with a smoothie. So that's like I- every fitness MLM, every wellness MLM. Right. <laughs> It's just so. like classic, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, that's wild and, to me. I can't believe it. Yeah. I mean, the, the fastest growing health and wellness, and they don't even I, call it a business on the homepage. They call it a community, yeah. which is also a trick. I, I think one of the things that I, what I, the first thing that came to mind was it's working. Like everything you yeah. just said, like it's selling, people are buying yeah. into this and yeah. they are, the brand is not even not medifast medi that doesn't roll off the tongue i don't like that medifast um octavia is worth one billion dollars yeah that's true sorry i need so yeah octavia is like the mlm brand medifast it's working yeah what does medifast have like a bunch of other companies then that they yes i think they do interesting and i think medifast is still considered the MLM Mm. um but I think it's because okay and this is me going rogue like I don't (laughs) I don't know um I think it is 
the MLM part is actually metafast where I could go and join and like sell mm -hmm. the products under metafast not necessarily okay. Octavia up to okay. up, up yeah mm -hmm. I don't like their names I don't well, and like here's what else I mean here's what else clues me into like it's working on a large scale and making metafast a lot of money but like that's not guaranteeing that the people who are selling and in oh, the God, Octavia no. oh. community are making money. At the no. bottom of their homepage, it says Octavia makes no guarantee of financial success. Success with Octavia results from successful sales efforts, which requires hard work, diligence, skill, persistence, competence, and leadership. Please see the Octavia income disclosure statement for stats on actual earnings of the U.S. coaches under the U.S. compensation plan. So here's where we're at. Almost 20% of independent coaches made nothing in quarter three. Oh no, this is the whole year. The whole annual income range of 2021, 20, almost 20%, 19.83% made nothing. 10% um, made less than $500. 13% made less than $2,500. And if you're talking about someone who in the United States could make a full-time income, so $50,000 and above, 2.25% of the yeah. entire company. So, gotcha. and it also those people who are up there, just like a pyramid scheme, have been in the company the longest. So yeah. the people who make six figures have at least been in the company for an average of 52 months. So yeah. they've been there for way longer, which in my eyes, I mean, just because they're selling a product, this is, again, a future episode, we are definitely going to talk about wellness MLMs. For me, what differentiates, and the thing is, an MLM legally, if we're talking about business, right? An MLM legally just has to have a product to sell where the primary consumer is not the people who are selling. Mm -hmm. When it becomes something where the people who are selling are the only ones buying, then it kind of becomes this cyclical system right but then also in my eyes like if the people who are making the most money are just the ones who have been there the longest and who are recruiting the most people culturally that's a pyramid scheme legally it might still be an mlm but mm -hmm. culturally that's a pyramid scheme especially when truly the people who are making the most money are the ceos of this company you know, and you're totally right. It is working. And you know why it's working? Oh, yeah. You know why it's working? Because people want to be well. That's it's not a that, bad thing. That's the whole thing is that it, and people want it. Mm -hmm. people, the industry mm -hmm. is so large. It's right. It's worth 4.4 .4 trillion. So, right. and to be honest with you, like the brand is worth 1 billion. That is a little, little, little bitty bit of 4.4 right. .4 trillion. Right. 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 Um, so and there's a lot of other stuff going on um, because people want it. And right. this is very like focused on lifestyle wellness. Yes. Um, and, and like I mentioned before, like it's health and wellness. And the definition for this episode of that covers a lot of different things. Even like the beauty industry is covered yeah. in this as well. Um, but and this is just one tiny part of the entire industry and it's the biggest 
part of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what's so cool about where we kind of come together is like, I can critique it all day long, but if it's working, yeah, like it's the reality, that's the reality of the thing. Right. And so they have over 2 million customers. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just the way that it is. Right. And I can't, I mean, I can sit there and, and all day long and say, you know, in my personal opinion, like this isn't going to work and the claims they're making don't actually make sense. Yeah. But like that sadly doesn't really matter. Yeah. And so I'm curious about, okay, so if we like move away from Octavia and Metafast, knowing mm-hmm. that we're probably going to go back to it in a future episode, like yes, that is something that people want, right? People want to be well. And so I'm, I'm oh, curious, yeah. I'm curious about like, from a business perspective, what is kind of, what are the reasons why the industry is going besides like is growing rather besides like just the desire to be well, are there like other specific things that go into kind of the, why we're seeing this grow. Right. And why these companies are, are shooting up in popularity seemingly really, really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So the question really is why is this growing so much? Like, why do we care? Um, And something that we talked about in the last episode um, that our, like last episode, we talked about how um, with an increase in sophisticated communication channels, like what we saw in the 60s, we started to see more of the like structural development and the spread of wellness knowledge. And our general attitudes towards the relationship between the wellness industry and social media and societal expectations, like those started to really develop. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from more of like a consumer behavior perspective, um, we're sort of seeing that there's a growing burden of like physical and mental diseases like cancer and depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. and um and and, in addition to chronic diseases like asthma or blood pressure go you can go off an entire list of those Mm -hmm. um and we're starting to be a lot more aware of those health issues Mm -hmm. um uh, the healthcare industry is starting to give us a lot more specific things. We're starting to see more communication from that industry on knowing and understanding your health is like knowledge is power, right? Mm-hmm. So we are curious as humans. And so as we start to learn more about those, our own individual health issues, um, then all of a sudden we start to be a little bit more interested in our quote unquote health and wellness. So, and, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just going to interject. I'm sorry. This is so, yeah. so interesting to me. And I also think like that makes me think then as a brand, if you're going to operationalize this and you're going to say, well, then what do I do with that information? You want to also be an educator in that space and then offer a product or a service that's going to solve whatever that is, right? The thing that immediately came to my mind when you were talking about this, and then I'm I'm creeping down the list um, because you said, mm-hmm. you know, this increased awareness regarding the imp- importance of personal hygiene. Yep. So many brands utilize like the facts about what's in your deodorant to sell you a more natural yeah. deodorant, right? right? Like to me, that is like the ideal 
current trendy thing that's going on. Right. And like, I remember this cause I saw it on TikTok last week. They re they were replaying clips from an old shark tank of this young girl who created this, like, I don't even know what the, what the product is that people don't like in the deodorant. I don't remember. I tried natural oh. deodorant. Um, and it made me smell like and I didn't like it. aluminum or something. Yeah. Okay. Like so aluminum free deodorant. It was a while ago that she came on Shark Tank and was like, I want to sell this deodorant. And they were like, oh, well, blah, 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 blah. And long story short, she basically didn't get a very good offer. And now she's made like millions and millions of dollars on this aluminum free deodorant. And like, that hmm. would make sense, right? It's like, it's not just selling yeah. a product, especially in the wellness industry, when you're trying to get someone to change their minds from like one product they've quote unquote, always used, right? Or like what they originally were recommended, but like being able to connect to these like growing burdens, right? And the awareness of like, this is what, you know, this ingredient could possibly lead to this thing and this thing and people really wanting to take control of their health. You can sell more product if you also become a leading educator in this space too, right? A hundred percent. That and that is what you have to do. Like the deodorant space is so saturated, and you have all of these um brands who have been around for decades, mm-hmm. like Secret or Dove or whatever. And so if I were a small business and I'm going into such a crazy market, you have to do what that girl did. Mm-hmm. That girl entered a saturated market with knowledge of aluminum. And I don't 100% know if it is aluminum, but some kind of ingredient, like we could We're be making like, it up. As we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but whatever ingredient she knows that this is an issue and she either people were already talking about it and nobody was doing anything or she figured it out on her own and you can go in and, and start pushing that message of you need to not have this ingredient in your deodorant. You need to not have this over and over and then say, by the way, we make a deodorant that doesn't have that ingredient. So instead of like making it with your baking powder and whatever, you can just buy it online on our website. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Having that understanding of like, it's not, you're not just selling a product. It's, it's the messaging and, and, what is your full and and that can get toxic too because i think we're starting to see companies or brands tell you that you are unhealthy even though you have a really good anecdote with an aura ring that mm-hmm. i feel like is perfect and you should totally share it where we're being told that we're not healthy and that we need to do something about it when we're actually just fine but they're just trying to sell us the product right Yeah. And I think the whole thing, so basically what we're seeing, and I'm going to bring it back to the theory from last week, because I just think it makes total sense. If you didn't listen to it, I talked about this theory of restoration and enhancement, right? The cyclical system of the wellness industry. So even if you are a generally healthy person and you don't need to restore yourself to your, your old state of health, like for example, the, the, um, Examples you just listed, right? Like cancer, depression, anxiety, like those are states of what people would call like dis-ease, like disease or ill health. You would restore your health through products and services to to maintain it. If you're already at like an average amount of health, the market is basically saying, nope, something's still wrong with you and you need to enhance your wellness. And so you should enhance it. And the example I was talking to Michaela about earlier was 
one of my graduate students was really excited to get an aura ring for Christmas and she had read all about it. She's really into wearable tech. It's a super fun industry um, it's a right big now. Trend. Yeah, yep. I was going to say, I think she probably, Michaela here. might bring yep. it up. Yeah, it's so like wearable mm-hmm. technology, right? Like everybody and their mother has an Apple Watch, right? And so she got an aura ring and it's specifically talking about sleep. And she goes, I've had it for a month and I hate it. And I was like, why? And and she said, well, it's annoying because when I wake up in the morning, I feel like I got a good sleep. And then I look at my stats on my phone from my Aura app and it gives me like a 62. And I was like, that's like a D minus, like that yeah. sucks. <laughs> and then it totally changes her mood yeah. because her phone told her she didn't get good sleep. And I'm like, well, if you felt like you got good sleep when you woke up and you felt rested, why are you letting this like, multiple hundred dollar piece of metal on your finger tell Mm -hmm. you that you didn't get good sleep and then basically what you have what you're faced with is continuing to try to get better sleep add these other night routines in and she said they don't even offer like legitimate advice like the advice she got was try sleeping in a dark room (laughs) no shit (laughs) right thank you very much or a ring thank you Uh and so it's like And so it kind of affects her day. And I'm like, why do we need a piece of technology? And I'm all for technology. I mean, I study it every day, but like that kind of thing, right? Is a company telling you that you need to start managing your sleep. And I think this is also on, on your notes somewhere, right? Like this increased focus on like your sleep health, which is, is important, right? Your sleep health is important, but like, what happens when this product that's supposed to improve your sleep actually starts to do the opposite, right? And she feels guilty and feels like a mm. failure because yeah. she felt like she was getting good sleep and then she's going to continue to try and get it and she's never going to reach 100%. Otherwise, why would you need that product? I, I think this is a really great example of um, a company failing at that mm-hmm. because I have heard other um just things about aura ring that it gives me too much data it, yeah. it i'm i'm getting too sucked in and it's not helpful for me yeah. um initially when you buy it like your graduate student was so excited to get it it was an exciting thing a lot of people i, I love the idea of having a lot of data yeah. and then a month in i realized wait a minute <laughs> this is too much and so uh, i i think it's interesting that wearable technology this type of what we were just talking about of like where we all are it's the new normal is to understand on a very deep level our health our physical yeah. health our mental health it's like an ongoing joke that millennials are all super aware of our mental illnesses we yeah. love being aware of what's happening um but and and, and like you said the the wear, wearable tech industry that is huge within this like it's like a sub industry and that's yeah. a huge trend that we're seeing. People are spending money on it. They're making a ton of money, but yeah. I think it's starting to backfire on them for these reasons. And if I were Aura Ring, I would think to myself, people are excited about data. People are excited about what this, the possibilities of what our product can provide for them. But the downfall is the data is not always what they expect and it's not always what they want. So the delivery of that data could be better. They should be doing things like you got a 62 sleep score. How do you feel? Yeah. Do you feel like you got bad sleep? 
like mm-hmm. like ask those follow-up questions and then and then go from there right so I, yeah. I feel like they're failing I think mm-hmm. that financially they're doing great so yeah, who right. are we to say <laughs> right but long but long-term success right long-term. like it almost it's a does, trend it could go d- back down right it like does too much and also not enough yeah. right and it's like yeah yeah it's like almost totally. too generalizable in that it tries to like analyze the specific individual it's kind of an oxymoron like in it a way it really is because it's way. such mm-hmm. specific data for you but it's cold data. Yeah. Like um, the like follow-up of try sleeping in a dark room. That is bad. Like that should not have, don't even follow up if you're going to say stupid things like that. Like right? Uh, that they, they can improve that delivery of a follow-up in a much more empathetic way yeah. than it sounds like they are. And I think that they would see a lot of success. Yeah. So yeah. that's really interesting. That's a, uh, hmm. it's a weird space, but I think, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how, how all of these companies that really, I don't want to say jumped the gun, but like got in early, right. Mm-hmm. Specifically within wearable tech, how they grow long-term and make themselves viable. Right. Cause at least like the Apple watch has multiple uses in that it's an actual watch. Right. So even if you don't use it in like a wellness space, like the aura ring is kind of ugly. It's kind of big and clunky. I was going to say, I think and like, cute. <laughs> I, well, here's the thing. I thought it was cute at first, but now I've been seeing it on people more. And I'm like, maybe oh. it's actually not cute. Like it's the only one that I like for what it is does. The gold one. Like yeah, if same. it's like silver, like black it just looks that looks weird but I feel like chunky jewelry was like really trendy but I also feel like it might be going out of style and if that's the case then aura ring is like sol like yeah the buck guys I hope they're like it's already really small so I don't know like for what it is I don't know how they're gonna make it smaller but they might yeah they'll probably come out with like an aura necklace or something probably or it'll be like the aura (laughs) slim and it'll be like a skinnier version and it'll just do less and it'll probably be less accurate, yeah. but it'll be prettier. Yeah. <laughs> so and they'll probably sell out. And frankly, I'll I'll buy it. Just kidding. Yeah. I uh, mean, we uh, should. We should. I, Ordering. If you want to prove us wrong. Uh yeah. Sponsor us. Just send kidding. us a DM. <laughs> send us a DM. We'll um test it out for you and see if you can change our minds. Um, okay. Keep going. There's so much information. Okay, moving on. This is why I had to cut. I had to cut <laughs> some of those stuff out. And we're still anyway. So um when we look at like markets that are driving the growth of this market. Um, I mentioned before chronic diseases and um, there's a term that was uh, deemed chronic lifestyle diseases Mm -hmm. and um, chronic meaning non-communicable. You're unable to pass one on to another. Um, And this was brought up because many times these chronic lifestyle diseases appear in your mid thirties and Mm -hmm. can be due to unhealthy lifestyle choices uh, that you made when you were younger. So things like your diet, lack of exercise, tobacco use, drug use, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So those are starting to pop up um, in older generations. And like I mentioned before, that is something that is starting to drive people to go buy MLM lifestyle wellness. Yeah. I feel like 
It's so interesting because when you say that to me, it feels like, especially millennials, right? We're overly concerned with like our mental health, our physical health. We're concerned about preventing all of these things, but we don't want to be patient and apply them over time. We want something that's going to happen quickly, yeah, right? And so I think that's also where, where something comes in, um, that can be a wellness product or service that that could support as long as it's like a well-researched, you know, thing that's filling a gap. And also that it's easy. I go back to the deodorant example, mm-hmm. easy to change, right? Like mm-hmm. that's why I think that this like aluminum free deodorant thing is like here to stay for a while. Cause it's pretty oh, yeah. easy, except for when you talk about like the financial, you know, cost, cause it is more expensive, but like, to me, that's something that can quickly change. You can kind of sense a movement in your body. Like when you detox from your old deodorant, like it's Mm -hmm. giving people those feelings of I am doing something that is actually changing me internally totally for my health and wellness. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And so, yeah, I can see that in some of your other like market drivers too. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was just going to skip over to, so one thing that I saw that I didn't dig too deep into, but I was, I put a question mark next to it because I was like, what in the world? A big thing that is becoming more popular, people are coming across thermal and spring water spas. So yeah. spas that offer water that is natural, <laughs> that have like minerals in it that are in it, in it. Oh my gosh. It is like, that goes back to what you just said of this is meant to cure my, not necessarily cure, but improve my overall wellness and overall yeah. lifestyle. Same thing with wellness tourism. Mm-hmm. That's a huge thing. So uh, traveling a distance to do a um, wellness retreat or, um, and I think it can even be as small as I'm just going to go like eat, pray, love my way through Europe. Like I think that's even considered wellness tourism. And again, it's like when you get to the point when you're paying tens of thousands of dollars to go to a wellness retreat in India, um, you're at a point where you feel like you're like, there's something negative happening in your life and this is going to fix it. Right. And then same thing with wearable devices that is considered a market driver. Same concept. What is, how am I fixing my life? There's a problem. This is the solution. Yeah. I am um, very professionally going to call dibs on wellness tourism uh, because I'm I'm currently writing an article on a wellness retreat right now that is kind of changing the way that it's that it's marketing itself um, through the use of social media and some of the videos went viral. Um, And so I should be finished with that article like April ish. And I kind of want to wait until I'm done. And then I've got it under review somewhere so that I can claim it. Because if anybody listens to this in the academic world, you're not stealing my Uh study. Um, But I have the perfect example of wellness tourism. And I can also kind of, we can kind of walk through some of the critiques and just kind of like how it's manifesting today. Uh, Because Totally agree. It is growing like crazy. And this existing wellness retreat that's been around for a while, I can see how they're kind of starting to build longevity and market themselves to like the everyday consumer because they used to be very, very much geared toward like 
the elites, right? So like high mm-hmm. income, celebrity, wealthy folks, right? Totally. And now they realize like they're kind of running out of money and running out of rich people because we live in America. And so they need yeah. to market to the other 99% of people. And so they're trying to figure out ways to do that. And uh, spoiler, it's not working. Um, but, <laughs> what? I know, right? <laughs> but we'll talk about, I mean, who doesn't want to pay? I'll just give you one little preview. $7,900 for five days. Wait. So, anyway. Okay. I'll fill you in later. I'm not going to fill the okay. listeners in later. <laughs> we, I will in April, two months. Much later. Yeah. Much okay. later, you'll know. Okay. That's crazy. And then one (laughs) other really quick market driver, this is the last one that I thought was really interesting, was a demand for high performance skin slash beauty products, not just a demand for beauty products, but high performance. And this still ties into there's a problem. I want to fix it. I have wrinkles. What is my, where is my 20% retinol product? Like Mm -hmm. I want the highest amount of retinol to fix this problem, right? Like we are very much into making sure that our skin products beauty products are working overnight right so there's a big demand for that so when we look at this overall market it's expected in 2025 it's expected to reach just under seven trillion dollars so right now it's 4.4 in about two years it's going to be around seven wow so i'm just gonna leave that one at that like We'll process that through time. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about the consumers. What are the consumers doing? Not necessarily what are they doing in their life <laughs> or necessarily doing it on social media, but how are they consuming and what are they reporting? Yeah. Um, 50% of U.S. consumers are reporting wellness as a top priority in their day-to-day lives. And that is in comparison to um, that same question being asked in 2020, which was 42%. So it's gone up about 8%, which is a pretty big chunk over yeah. the past two, three years. Yeah. So they're thinking about it. It's on the top of their minds. Um, McKinsey, which is a really helpful um, place that I found a lot of great information and I am sourcing everything Uh, all the references in the show notes, just so everybody knows. But Mm -hmm. they talked about um, from, again, this is, I really want to talk about this. This is from the perspective of an industry, the six dimensions of the wellness industry. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's really interesting comparing the six components of wellness that you talked about in the last episode um, that was cited from the National Wellness Institution. And these are different. We yeah. we're seeing we're seeing different dimensions. We're seeing mm-hmm. these different components. Mm-hmm. So the first one is health. What we talked about over-the-counter medicine, which is pharmaceutical, right? And that that does start to creep into healthcare. Sure. Uh, but then you also have vitamins and personal hygiene. Um, the next one is fitness. So fitness clubs, gyms, studios, at-home equipment, fitness mm-hmm. wearables, fitness apps can yeah. fall under that. Nutrition is the third one diet programs, subscription food services, even things like um, Blue Apron, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, the nutrition apps, as well as juice cleanses. The fourth one is appearance. So skincare, 
dermo cosmetics. So um, even Botox would fall under that hair care and salon services. The fifth one is mindfulness, um, counseling or therapy. Um, again, that starts to creep into the healthcare industry there. Um, meditation studios, mindfulness apps. I have the calm app. I do mm-hmm. love it. I do mm-hmm. love it. And yeah. then the last one is sleep. Sleep is a huge one, um, but that also that includes sleep, sleep supplements, app-enabled sleep trackers, and other sleep-enhancing products. So, um, like I said, th- this is what consumers are referencing. Um, just off the top that. of your head, do you have... I'm curious your thoughts, your reaction. Yeah. So I actually love this um, because I do feel like it doesn't necessarily mirror, but you can see where some of the different foci kind of come in and these different constructs Mm. kind of match up, right? Because to me, like some of these will go into one. So like physical wellness would encompass like health, fitness, nutrition, right? But like your mental emotional wellness would be in the mindfulness right Mm -hmm. and then there's these other kind of areas of wellness that aren't really seen here like are you happy in your job are you happy in your social relationships right and that's the humanities perspective where like you can create like a wellness product for that but a lot of times that's like a critical cultural like social kind of um area right of wellness um and so but I do really like this and I actually haven't seen, um, I'll have to use this because I haven't seen someone kind of mention in this much of a specific, uh, way, like a specific format Mm -hmm. with specific examples of like what the wellness industry is made up of, which Mm -hmm. I really like. Um, and I think what happens in this like critical, uh, space that I'm in is like, we automatically put wellness and pharmaceuticals in opposition of one another Mm -hmm. but like in reality right and here's what we're trying to do put a little bit of nuance in there you know and talk about how pharmaceuticals also play in right to this overall idea of like our wellness and well-being so i i like that there's a little bit of over over over-the-counter medicine a little toward pharmaceutical i can imagine like within mindfulness, like that connects to if you're taking medication for ADHD or anxiety or whatever. And I, I kind of like the, um, what do I want to say? Like the, I don't want to say validation, but like the recognition of all of these different, uh, pieces and how they all kind of work together, but also are separate in certain ways. So I right. do like them. I mean, I, I will probably use this as if, yeah. if I'm, if I'm quoting, like, here's what the wellness industry is made up of and how it manifests in our society. That's what I would totally. say. Yes. It gives structure, which I think we love structure and we love to categorize things and we love yes. to label things. And I think that, you know, when you're starting a business and you're opening an LLC or whatever it may be, um, they ask you what, what category is your business and business owners have to answer. Right. And so this kind of gives them literal structure of, okay, I am a nutrition app, so I'm considered wellness. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then there is that relate, there's a relationship between healthcare and pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. with your overall wellness. Right. So yeah. What's going on there? Yeah. Um, 
some thing that we are seeing, especially more recently with much larger brands, is that consumers are able to find products or services or solutions that can cross over a lot of these, the the six things that I just mentioned. Uh, what was referenced, and I will also mention here as an example, which I love, is Aloe Yoga. So they are an apparel retail brand, but they created a fitness app that you can take fitness classes on, right? So um, as a consumer, I'm able to utilize Aloe for my outfit and also for my workout. Um, so we're starting to see that happen a lot more and consumers are utilizing that a lot. Yeah. To me, that feels like they're mirroring more of like a lifestyle brand image, right? Definitely. Like bringing in that like whole package. So when we talk, when I talk about like wellness and influencers, for example, there's a lot of different components that kind of go in together to create this kind of whole package and like a one-stop shop of what someone might need. And to me, that also feels like they are um, sort of reintegrating their brand and the understanding of what their brand is and also maintaining brand loyalty through these other types of offerings, right? Because yes. if you just buy one pair of aloe leggings, you might not be thinking about them all the time. No. But if you start working out through their app and you're now seeing aloe yoga and these, you know, possibly like most likely beautiful fit people in yeah. aloe clothing yeah. four times a week, you're feeling closer to the brand. You're trusting them with your fitness. You're going to buy more clothes, right? It's a reminder of what the brand is. And that's definitely like from a business perspective, not a bad thing. Like the more times a consumer sees your brand and trusts genius. your brand, that's yeah. genius. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what I think Lululemon's trying to do the same thing with like partnering with like the mirror. Um, is it working as well? I don't think so because that's a major uh, commitment. If we're still talking about like some brands who maybe are missing the mark a little bit, yeah, I would consider like Lululemon trying to get people to buy like a wildly expensive mirror to work out in their house with isn't working as well as like a monthly subscription to an app that's like six bucks, right? Yeah, like you're going right. to get more people. Yeah. And although it's like, less money per person, you're probably getting people to stay on for longer and just more people in general um, yeah. purchasing that subscription service. And then it probably is really beneficial long-term too, because like I said, you get people to buy more of your clothing and trust more in your brand. Um, and I think that's, yeah, incredible. <laughs> I mean, you're essentially increasing revenue potential, which is yeah. like just being able to do that can open so much for you. Another thing that I didn't put in the notes, um, but this is a really, really big thing and I can't speak to it super well, at least not yet. Um, but one thing that we are seeing is a decline in brand loyalty. Mm. And, and I say that loosely, um, but, but consumers are a little bit more okay with going for a private label brand or a newer brand than they are a more established brand. And that's still being watched and researched and that could still go either way. I think that millennials, I remember when I first started school and getting into 
like really paying attention to this. I think for a long time, millennials were considered super brand loyal Mm -hmm. and we're starting to move away from that a little bit. So doing things like being available in different spaces within this industry is really important because your brand can easily start to be left behind if you don't. Yeah. I feel like in the future, we should maybe like take some time to speculate more as to like why that is happening and what's going on as far as movement. Mm-hmm. Um, because that is something that's really interesting to me. And I it's would imagine brands, you know, new and existing would want to know about brand loyalty and how it's kind of shifting research wise. Because yeah, yeah that, kind of, that kind of shocks me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, we should put that on the back burner and, and return to that. Yeah. When I saw it, I was like, that's crazy. But then I was like, I can't go into that right now. Like, <laughs> that's its own thing. There's so many things. Oh. I know, right? But <sighs> anyway, so all, all of that to say is that this market is super crowded. But one thing that has been reported is there's not enough. 37% of surveyed consumers expressed a desire for additional products and services they really want more products and services in the sleep and mindfulness segments. Um, and then about a third of those surveyed consumers wanted more across the remaining four dimensions that I just mentioned. And this is very true in Gen Z and millennials. I think that Gen Z cares a lot about wellness. And um, looking at the research that I was seeing, Millennials were a huge um, generation that was spending money and Gen Z was behind them. Um, And I think that Gen Z doesn't have any money right now and they're still second. Like they're Mm -hmm. still beating out those older generations. And so I think that as they start to go into the professional world and, and that more higher income phase of their life, they are definitely going to be spending money in this industry. And so it's not going away anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. Another um, thing that we can talk about in the future, because I'd love to put like a little critical cultural spin on like what, you know, speculating about what Gen Z might want to see in the wellness industry and whether the wellness industry right now is actually prepared to serve those consumers. Yeah. Because you can definitely make an argument that millennials want something different out of the wellness industry than Gen Z does. And that is super cool and interesting. So I feel like you just gave us like a whole list of like 10 things that we can talk about. And I'm sure you're just going to keep giving us more things in the future. So episode ideas galore. So much. (laughs) I wanted to really quickly just give you like a little teaser of some predicted trends that we might see and there's no way that we have time to talk about these like in depth so this will definitely be something that we will I feel like that's like take a shot every time you hear us say that'll be a future episode we don't have enough time I Um, hope you're not driving while you're listening to this podcast yeah don't only (laughs) play that game when you're at home or you have a DD. yes So some that are very business focused. So personalization of products and services, the perfect example would be care of. Um, 
this was another thing. Ah, I won't go into it. I want to talk about it, but I won't. But um, very much so Gen Z was okay with giving. They're like, I don't care about data, like privacy. Take my data if you can give me vitamins that mm-hmm. are customized to me. They love that stuff. That yep. is one of an answer to your question of what do they care about? Yeah. Um, that's something that they're willing to sacrifice for their wellness. Um, product discovery via celebrities and influencers are that's it's just getting bigger and bigger it's not going away anytime soon i think eventually it will go away but that could be like 20 years from now so we will see i hope it doesn't go away because that is the reason why i have a job so i need it to stay i know i'll be out of i'll be out of this line of work in 20 years my (laughs) friends but yeah i totally yes sorry we can't get into it okay keep going i know i know (laughs) Um, services and apps are starting to see that's a really big thing. Um, it has been a big thing and it will continue to be a big thing. And same thing with e-commerce that's not going away anytime soon. Um, in terms of like observations of what's happening in the wellness business industry, national or excuse me, natural and clean beauty is actually starting to slow down. Mm. And there's a lot of things that we can go into with that one. Um, oh, this is what I mentioned. Consumer preferences on newer private labels versus established mm. brands are starting to, things are happening. Thing, things are moving that yeah. uh, we didn't really expect. Huge increase in focus on sleep. That is, that's a big one. Um, as I mentioned before, millennials are leading the purchasing Um this one's really interesting. Black consumers are currently exhibiting the greatest unmet need, yeah, which is a big deal. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of a lot of conversations to be had about that. And then um, finally, the last one is wellness related employee benefits are becoming a lot more mainstream. Yeah. Um, so like companies offering to pay for a, a meditation app or um, making sure that they're covering more therapy or mental health uh, insurance coverage, that kind of thing. We're starting to see that a lot more, which is actually pretty cool. Yeah, I love that. I feel like it's becoming popular online. People are sharing like there's some companies that are doing like a wellness uh, budget that they give their employees and then they can spend it on whatever they want to spend it on. Um, and of course some people are like, oh, you're showing off or whatever. But I think it's really cool to see like businesses are offering employees, like whatever it is, 500 bucks or like 250 bucks a month and spend it on however you want. And like at core power yoga, where I teach yoga, we actually offer a discounted rate to corporate partnerships. So like large businesses around the country can sign a contract with core power. And then we will give all of their employees a discount, um, on their membership I'm and so to advocate for that for my yeah, job you should, I want that you should, you should mm. because it's really really nice um and it it it's one of our biggest discounts actually um and so yeah I think that that will only continue and like I I knew it would it just gives us a million more ideas of episodes mm-hmm. and makes me once again so excited I feel like every time we finish an episode I'm like okay now let's do this and this yeah. and this and this because there's so many things to talk about. There's so much. And I'm just so it's grateful like, to be here. <laughs> it's a teaser. It was a teaser for them and a teaser for us too. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, thank you so much for all of that information. Of I really course. do feel like it was beneficial after going over last week's information and like moving into this space. We have so many different 
areas to go in and yeah. so many things to dig into um, that are of particular interest to us. And so yeah. I'm excited about that. Um, with that said, everybody, I think we mentioned this earlier, but if you took anything away from this episode, let us know what it was. We'd love to hear your feedback in our DMs, whether there are individual ones or Alive and Well pod. Um, and then if you have any recommendations, any specific questions, we'd love to go over those and start to include y'all in these conversations. Um, so don't be shy. Ask a question. We'll start to interact with you more. If you haven't followed the Instagram Go follow the Instagram. We yeah. will be on there chatting away with you all and uh, starting to post more about this incredible podcast. Um, we're so excited about it. So thank you so much. And with that, the dogs are barking, which means it is time to go. <laughs> time for dinner. Time for dinner. Thanks dinner so much time. for coming, my friends. Are coming. Thanks so much for being here, listening to our podcast. Make yeah. sure to follow us um, and read through the show notes to get all of those resources Michaela shared mm -hmm. with us today. We're going to try oh, yeah. and um, do a good job on this podcast of giving you some of those citations uh, from where we get our information. And uh, we will talk to you next time. Bye. See ya.